Hi everyone, it's Mark Stenson here with my co-host Kirsten Goldie, and you've reached IntelliKey Leadership Stories. Kirsten, we've just had so many meaningful interviews in our Amplifying Black Voices series. The brilliant leaders that the Black community really has. We're just so happy to have today Antoine Boyton. Antoine is a public relations professional, digital marketing, works at a college, and he's the kind of leader that you're talking about, Kirsten. Uh, thanks for having me, Mark and uh, Kirsten. I really appreciate it. Welcome to a special edition of IntelliKey Leadership Stories, Amplifying Black Voices, a series of interviews that help bridge the gap between what you think you know and what you need to hear about the true meaning of racial justice, diversity, inclusion, and equity. Real conversations about real experiences that lead to real change. Join the conversation now with your hosts, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stinson. Kirsten, what are some of the things that you're picking up? You know, what's fascinating me today, media does not portray the black community as leaders people making a difference, really doing things for other people. So we're calling the series Amplifying Black Voices, but they all fit our IntelliKey leadership stories because they are really high-performing leaders, not just in their community, but out globally in the world. So that bias that infiltrated the media, that's what's striking me today is the brilliant leaders that the Black community really has. Yeah, and, and with that backdrop, we're just so happy to have today Antoine Boyton. Antoine, we've been talking with folks because in almost every article in a George Floyd, Breonna Taylor kind of environment has said, you know, what really needs to change is, I mean, we need to have a conversation to right. understand each other better. Correct. And I Correct. think we're trying to amplify that conversation. And let's imagine we're at a coffee shop you know, remember before COVID, we used to sit in coffee shops. <laughs> yeah, used to. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But let's imagine that we're there. Antoine, we really want to hear what the sense of what people like us need to understand about the Black experience. And, you know, I was just noting before we came on that we, we connected with you pre-election. And here correct, we are correct. post-November 4th. You know, is, is there any change in tone or mood or even substance of that conversation? Well, you know, I really think that it, it goes down to almost a breath of fresh air, depending on which side of the aisle you're on. Um, but for me, there, there's been so much almost hateful rhetoric that has come out and so much of just an, an acceptance of it's okay to treat people badly or poorly, no matter the race or anything. And then, that, that's not needed at a presidential position, you know, because you are the leader of America. And there are a lot of people that follow what the president says. So for me, I'm a little bit relieved that we are moving forward because you could see that kind of pent up emotion just relaxing after the election. I think, you know, if nothing else, he'll bring the presidency to a little bit or he'll carry it with a little bit more respect. Uh, and, and showing respect for others. And that's kind of where, uh, to your other point of, of engaging others and talking, that's what we need to, that's what needs to happen is that we just need to talk to each other. There isn't much that separates me from the next person or me from my neighbor. 
it's the talking and that that gap in between that makes it seem like it's this wide gap and i completely disagree with you no i want to have a political conversation with everyone and respect their opinion because that's what we do as americans you you know you can differ with somebody but still respect them at the end of the day Uh, You know, I'm present to something which oftentimes you hear from the other side, right? There is a pride in you of America, the presidency, the flag, what it means to be American, that that are values that the, you know, that the red often holds only as theirs. And I really wanted to highlight that because what I hear you saying, you know, if we have pride in our home and our country where we all stand equal, then we have the capacity to be the country that we should be. You know, as an American, I love that. That, that has no color. That has no boundary. How does it feel? It, that, that's, that's a soul essence. That isn't that doesn't have boundaries of color. So my parents always taught me to treat everybody right, no matter who they are. Walk with respect, give respect, show respect. And I I think that's what everyone needs to do. Get back to that. You know, there's a lack of respect that that has happened. And right now with uh, the social justice, the civil rights movement, really that's, that's happening right now, that's all we are asking is we want respect just like the next person. We are all Americans, and that's what we want to be considered. And so, Antoine, you live in a small town. Mm-hmm. I think the population's 5,000 if I looked it up properly. A little, little, <laughs> bit, a little bit larger, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but then a suburb of a you know, larger correct, metro correct. area. Okay? Correct, but, correct, correct. But what, what's the dynamic? You know, a small southern town, we have mm-hmm. this image of, well, there must be conflict. There, there must be misunderstanding. There must be old social uh, or old, old stereotypes. In your view, how are things changing? I think that people are beginning to realize, and it's really this newer generation, you know, the older generation, they're going to be the older generation, you know, but what's happening is that their kids or their grandkids are having black friends or having Hispanic friends or Asian friends. And it's becoming... I guess, probably more talked about in their household, you know? So I want to invite over Antoine. It's okay. You know, then, and what what I'm wondering is in the next, you know, 20 years, will people start to, again, have more of those interactions with minorities and they start to realize that, oh, they're just people just like us. And and that's what's being broken down now. When, When you factor in social media, the internet and everything else, which is something that I really didn't have growing up, not until what, like, the mid nineties or so it's happening a lot faster. So breaking down those barriers are happening a lot faster. You're seeing a lot more of um, black culture, Hispanic culture, Asian culture, native American culture on the internet. And you can experience that in small segments without having to go and visit them or that group of people. And you can pick and choose, you know, uh, one thing that I was thinking about, and you know, it's unfortunate that the hip hop music that is out there, that is so followed by so many people, most of what is being pushed out is, I mean, it, it's uh, carrying on that stereotype of African-Americans. Mm. And it's unfortunate. It, you know, it's, it's one of the largest mediums that people listen to and interact with. And you have people selling drugs, womenizing, drug dealing and everything. And it's like, wow, that is a platform that we could use to change so much, but we're not. Mm. 
mm-hmm. which is what the original intent was. Absolutely. Right? That, that was how hip hop got started, right? With Absolutely. The equivalent of the slave songs. We have to speak yep. our voice. And, and for whatever reason, it's, it, it's changed, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. But to me, I also don't understand how, if you can get someone that sells a million records and, and, and talks about things that are just outright bad, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You can't tell me that that's the only rapper that's out there. There have to be what uh, in the hip hop community are considered conscious rappers out there that would then, you know, push forward the agenda of equal rights or equal treatment and that not everybody is this type of way yes you know mm-hmm. and that's what y'all are finding out through y'all's uh through your podcast well that's exactly right and i guess you know to prompt that conversation we often take the other side for a moment and say well what if we're having this dialogue with one of our uh, white friends and they say yeah but you don't understand and all these rap and hip-hop songs they say the n-word they call yeah. women names that we wouldn't repeat they are using uh acronyms that you know we we would never and so why can't i i mean it's not that would be you know it's not right for them to say it either it's as simple as that just because you say it doesn't make it right Mm -hmm. Mm. you know know, it's funny i was watching a documentary of a very famous female producer who worked with a black producer and i forget who it was but he was very famous and he was a sexual predator and raped women and she was raped but what she said was back in those times and it was the early 90s right where rap really meant something was galvanizing a culture and she did say we didn't speak up because we did not want to take away from what was happening to our black men but what happened is the black women got left behind and now we call them hoes there's a lot of things that are in there so there was the degradation of the right. black woman. Yep, yep, absolutely. It's, it, you know, it's, it, it's just unfortunate. And it, it's one of the things where, you know, we kind of go back to the conversations. You know, if, if someone made the statement that, that Mark just, just, just said about, well, if they say it, it's okay for me. No, no, it's not okay. It's not okay for anybody to say it. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's kind of where it, where it stops. It's like, it's not okay. Period. Those words actually mean things and they actually hurt people. You know, and for it to be perpetuated in music, which is, you know, of course, rhythmic, it's catchy, people say it, and sometimes you'll say it and not even know it. You know, it, it, it doesn't make it right. It mm-hmm. doesn't make it right. Well, Antoine, in your career in business and education, where have you faced these sort of issues and felt that you were moved to speak up? It's like, it's one thing to endure it and then tell the story later and say, I'll never forget the time. But yeah. I guess when you have confronted it, and said, that's wrong, let's do something about it. Give us an example of that, perhaps. You know, actually, it's one that, that just happened here with George Floyd. Mm. I've, I've heard some of your previous podcasts. I, you know, I, I didn't want to ruffle any feathers earlier on in my career. I didn't want to step on any toes, so didn't say anything. I was silent. And when George Floyd happened, and just the buildup of everything going on, I actually uh, spoke to the president of our college and just said, hey, you know, I know there's a lot going on right now. You know, are you looking to send a message out uh, to the college? Because a lot of people are hurting right now. And she was like, you know, I- I'm, I'm glad you, you approached me. You know, I was thinking about saying something, but I wasn't really sure. And then she wrote a statement that went against racial injustice. She was for Black Lives Matter. She actually wrote in the email, the internal email, that Black Lives Matter. You know, injustice, you know, we don't believe in injustice. 
you know, we're here to serve the community and the whole community, not just a subsection of the community. So yeah, definitely uh, was, that was, that was the first time uh, that I can recall in my career that I actually stood up and said, Hey, you know, this isn't right. You know, we have to say something, we have to do something. Mm -hmm. And when you were experiencing those past insults Mm -hmm. and felt, well, I don't want to ruffle feathers. Like you said, Mm -hmm. what feathers were going to be ruffled? You know, the the fear is or the reality or the reality. That's right. Yes. Well, I I don't even know if it's a reality. It could be a fear. It could be unjust. It, It could be one of those things where if I, you know, I felt that if I brought it forward, then my job would be in je- at jeopardy. That's my livelihood. Mm-hmm. You know, but what could have happened if I would have made that step, maybe I would have said, hey, you know, that's not right. You shouldn't do that. Or you shouldn't talk to people like that. Maybe, you know, again, because it didn't happen, this is all hypothetical. Maybe they, they would have said, you know what, you're right. I never thought about it that way. But because I didn't, really, we'll never know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I did have uh, an incident with a coworker after work one day went out uh, for dinner, had some drinks and things we'll just say got out of hand. Uh, he got upset at um, the, the staff and came out and this is in front of me and said, you know, these effing N words and what can you do there? You know? So I, 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 that was on a Friday, waited till Monday and I actually addressed it there. I was like, Hey man, you, you, you can't say that. That was extremely offensive to me and everyone else that you said it to. Um, you know, that, that one incident, um, you know, kind of set the stage for our relationship. We were coworkers at the time. We were peers. He eventually became my manager. So that was very, very awkward, you know, having to go and report to someone that actually thought like that would even say something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, those, those are the, the, the outliers. And most of my experience experiences throughout my career have been positive. Uh, I have been supported by so many people throughout my career, but you know, there are instances where, where things happen. You're just like, well, that's not right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how do we begin to turn it around then between saying, okay, then I won't say that anymore. I get it. It's offensive, but Mm -hmm. to be more proactive Mm -hmm. that says when I do see that happening or when someone is up for a promotion or when we are hiring, you know, where, where do you see the shift? Well, I, I think it starts with, you know, training you can have, but also just conversations, you know, uh, getting out of your comfort zone. You know, it's easy to go into work and sit down at your desk every day and, and just stay focused at your desk. What I like to do is I like to walk around and meet everyone on the college campus. You know, I probably know 90% of the employees on campus, you know, everyone from, um, you know, the president to the deans, the uh, staff, the faculty. I just go around and talk to people. Now, how, how's your day going today? You know, how was your weekend? You know, just, just talk to them. And, and that starts to humanize everyone once that happens, once you have those interactions with them. What is your experience? You mentioned you spoke to that younger generation. And I love what you said, because and I'll speak to my own experience with my daughter. I, I, have, I come from an interracial family. And my daughters really never knew that we had different fathers, right? Mm -hmm. So they were in the car and they're like, what do you mean you have different fathers? And my brother and I were explaining to my daughters, look at our difference in our skin tone. Mm -hmm. And it's really still never registered for them, right? So I agree with you that it has everything to do with how you're brought up. To them, color wasn't even a thing. It didn't matter, right? Correct. But um, this youth, what would you like the youth to hear? They have different opportunities in front of them. They do. 
I, I would like for them to hear, you know, I, I really wish I was thinking about it just a couple of days ago, how much I wish that I could spend time with my grandparents. Mm. They're no longer here. Listening to history to understand kind of the context of what's going on now, but then use your power. Like I feel that the youth have more power today than they've ever had. They have yeah. more access to information than they ever had. So use that to push this agenda forward. You know, bring in um, all of your friends. You know, just don't hang out. Like, again, get out of your comfort zone a little bit. Do things that are challenging to you. Do things that are a little bit awkward. You know, so something that, again, gets you out of that comfort zone of just hanging out with your friends, talking about, you know, with your group of friends, how you see the world. Because after a while, you're all going to see the world the exact same way. Mm. And, and I do, I do think about those stories, though. And if, if you've listened to some of our other episodes mm -hmm. on this topic, I remember Trina saying, you know, she and her family would be the only black family at a company picnic. Yep. You know, I, I think about things like that that say, okay, it's one thing to say get out of your comfort zone. Pastor CJ said, you know, we're more segregated on Sunday morning because we won't go to each other's churches. You know, right. there's still this separate, we're all singing the same hymn, but we won't do it in the same auditorium. What's with yeah. that? So wh where do you find the opportunity for that comfort zone to be expanded? Where we do go to places or hang with people that we might not ordinarily uh, do? You know, I think in school, it starts with uh, extracurricular activities. Could be sports. It could be the chess club. You know, I was on the... Uh, in middle school, I was on the chess team. <laughs> I met a lot of different people. I met uh, who ended up being the, the reigning, like, 10-time Spelling Bee champion uh, in Athens, Georgia, at, on the chess team. Uh, I was also on the, the golf team all throughout uh, high school. So, you know, just do something that is a little bit different than what people around you are doing. And that's how it starts. It doesn't take a lot. We don't have to. We're not asking, or I'm not asking for a lot, this big, huge shift. But those little bitty shifts start adding up over time to larger shifts. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the extracurricular activity, that's a yep. very interesting. And, and I'm always for uh, Cub Scouts and Boy Scouts. Uh, I'm an Eagle Scout myself. Um, and I think that's one of the greatest experiences that you can have growing up. I know they're going through a lot right now, and that's unfortunate. Um, but I started at or as a Tiger Cub and worked my way up, achieved the arrow of life in Cub Scouts, and then went on to Boy Scouts and became an Eagle Scout. So, I mean, all those experiences there, I, I can't capture them. You know, it, it taught me so much, how to meet so many people, how to work with so many different people for you know, most of my, my uh, upbringing. That's great. And at a college level then, as you said, you have a chance to interact with the staff of all type and, and the mm -hmm. students. Thinking right. of those extracurricular activities, are, are you seeing the kind of leadership and mentorship that fosters that kind of uh, inclusivity? I, I do. I do. And w with the technical college, it's a little bit different. Uh, so at, at, on our campus or uh, within uh, the technical college system, uh, there aren't that many sports teams, but there are clubs. And what we're seeing is, you know, you have those leaders, you have those people that are stepping up, they're being mentored by the program chairs, or they're being mentored by the deans or the vice presidents, and everyone's getting involved to build those leaders of the future. Mm, that, so is, really that is really exciting. And, you know, to your point, the youth is about to outnumber the baby boomers if they haven't already done it. They now control 
the, yep. the future of America, yep. despite this last ditch attempt to, yep. you know, oh, hold oh, on. great. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> You know, oh, I thought we could hold on just a little longer. <laughs> no, but you know, Antoine, uh, I'll be cutting that out. Don't worry. Uh, <laughs> Antoine, I, I think I wanted to pick up on, on Kirsten's thought there, and that is in a technical college, mm-hmm. you know, thinking about, again, maybe these STEM-type programs and moving because technology and, and is driving where we're headed besides social media where all the chatter comes from but do you see a difference in a new generation of technical thinking and is the opportunity for blacks to make more headway in that arena there is um you know in in what we're looking at um here in the state of georgia is a deficit in those technical skills a lot of the people that had them are retiring now so there's this skills gap that we're trying to fill uh, through the technical college. Um, you know, we, I guess, assist and, and, and progress so many first generation students that, you know, that is a, a main, I guess, if, if you can call it source of en- enrollment at the college. So what it allows African-Americans and minorities to do is to ease into college. You know, four year institution is daunting. For a first generation student, that could be daunting to go and sit with, you know, 500 of your closest friends in your biology class. Whereas the technical college has, uh, we have right now on average about 24 students in each class. That's like a cap that we have. And to kind of ease in to education, ease into higher ed, it allows those first generation students or those that may be a little bit challenged with the larger crowds into the technical education. What we're seeing also, so welding is huge. Even fixing your car, so auto collision repair or automotive technology, these are all becoming technical skills that you have to gain to get that job. Wonderful. Yep. Well, Antoine, you've really given us a lot to think about. We've really enjoyed our conversation. It's just been terrific. Can't thank you enough. All right. I, I, I appreciate it so much as well. And I think as we close, I mean, we've, we've been having, I guess, the roller coaster. We've gone very high and we've gone very specific on some things. Mm-hmm. Let's go back to this 50,000 foot view where we started. And you say, you know, you're feeling a breath of fresh air. That's good. We can all kind of exhale post-election, anticipating what a potential new administration would bring. Correct. But what else has to happen? Just because we breathe the breath of fresh air doesn't mean that there's been a fundamental change yet. Correct. Uh, what are you looking for? I'm looking for honest, open conversation. And it goes back to kind of what we were talking about. And respecting others' opinions is, is where we need to go and, and how we need to move forward. Yelling and, and spewing hate is not what we need to do anymore. You know, I would like to sit down and speak to neighbors that don't have my same political uh, beliefs, maybe even not even um, my same religious beliefs, and just understand them as people, as Americans. And that's what we need to do moving forward. You know, I'm just, I know we were going to close, but I do <laughs> have a thought. How do you, or how does one, how do we engage in a conversation with someone who really does not affirm anti-racism? How do we have that conversation? That's the divide. It's not political. Correct. That's the divide. Yeah. So having a conversation with someone like that would be a little difficult, I think, right? But again, 
you know, talk to them, give them the opportunity to, to say their beliefs and, 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 and let you know how they feel. But then you can also say, well, I disagree because of this. And then you can still, at the end of the day, part ways and just say, okay, agree to disagree and not hate that person because they disagree with you. But you're saying grant them the dignity and yeah. grace yeah. of being exactly what we want to receive in return. Absolutely. Being who we, what we want to receive. Absolutely. Very well said. Yep. Yeah, Antoine, it's a, it's a real call to action. It's a real call to listening that you're Listen. talking about this. And so as Kirsten said, well, they have an opinion, I have an opinion, and I guess that's what defines a conversation when you Correct. really think about it, that I'm not trying to persuade you and you're not trying to persuade me. I'm just Correct. trying to understand. Correct. So, Correct. Very, very nice. Absolutely. Like I said, our, our guest has been Antoine Boyton. And I guess the, the takeaways for me are certainly have these conversations, but you're saying go out of our way, meet our neighbors, mm -hmm. join a group we wouldn't normally join. Absolutely. Uh, do an activity I wouldn't normally do <laughs> uh, because we're going to expand our realm of experience Absolutely. and understand what the other person is going through and maybe where they're coming from. Correct. Correct. Very good. Well, thank you, Antoine. Thanks, Kirsten, for another great uh, episode. And thanks to our listeners who continue to encourage us and participate in this conversation. I can't tell you how many comments we get. Even friends, you know, might say, hey, I heard this podcast. I, I don't understand why you don't ever ask this question. <laughs> so we've asked you some, Antoine, that have been asked of us. And uh, we just no hope that you'll help us pass the word along that we want to continue this conversation. Absolutely, I will. Thank All you right, so much. Listeners. Thanks a lot for helping us amplify black voices. And also, in the context of our IntelliKey, Kirsten, I mean, this is our soul's calling. Right? And I think it's our nation's soul's calling, right? Yes. It's been a long time coming. There's a healing of, you know, from the shamanic perspective and the work that I do. You don't heal the land, you don't heal the people. They're one and the same. They're exactly the same souls. Mark, you and I have talked to so many people in every conversation. It makes me so emotional because it just, I feel like as we move forward, it just, my heart aches. Like I can feel it. I can feel it. I'm present to the courage it takes to still love America despite its history. And, and Antoine, that's what's present for me with you mm -hmm. is you still Absolutely. love this country and you still have hope. And you have so much love and respect for the country and its principles. That's the soul. Because not everybody gets to keep that. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Absolutely. Very meaningful. Thanks for helping open our ears, for one, to listen, open our minds to new viewpoints. And then, as Kirsten said, I think open our hearts to this new healing process that we as individuals and as a country are going through. So we really appreciate it. And to our listeners, we'll see you again next time on the next episode. And until then, all the best. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to a special edition of IntelliKey Leadership Stories, Amplifying Black Voices. IntelliKey Leadership Stories is copyright 2020. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and many more. I'm Jason Lanier White. On behalf of your host, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stinson, thanks for listening to IntelliKey Leadership Stories.